Welcome, 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 Housers, to another episode of On the Way Home. I am your host, Michael Braithwaite, from the great organization of Blue Door, where I work with many, many people much, much smarter than I am. We're doing incredible work across the top of the GTA in York Region, Durham, uh, and Peel Region, whether it be helping people find emergency housing, transitional housing, housing for 2SLGBTQ plus youth. That's amazing. That's pet friendly. Whether it's our construction social enterprise in Durham, Peel, or uh, York that are launching people into the trades and pulling them out of poverty and helping bring in revenue so we can actually build housing and add programs not on the backs of government or if it's linking them to health care where they can get healthy and move forward with their housing journey. We do all that and more. Check us out at bluedor.ca just, or just take out your phone and use that QR code. It will link you directly to it. Be part of the solution. Check out our also our Mosaic Interfaith Out of the Cold program. That seasonal has been running for over 20 years and it's been saving lives for over 20 years. We don't do this podcast alone. We do it with our friends at the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness. Hey, check out this shirt here. Homelessness is solvable. I got this through the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness. It's just a piece of one of their advocacy campaigns. They do many and they have the ear of government and they've made so many things change over time for the better. Uh, they are leading the way and pointing the government in the right direction. They do advocacy work across our country and much, much more. They do training. Uh, check out their website at caeh.ca. And of course, they run the massive conference they do each fall next year to be held in Ottawa. It is a one-of-a-kind, wonderful uh, awareness and education building uh, conference where they bring together the biggest minds out of housing homelessness from around the world together to share. So check that out again. Hey, let's talk about today's guest. Um, we talk about homelessness on this podcast. We also talk about deeply affordable housing. Home ownership is part of that. And right now, when you think uh, we're in 2024, if you're looking to buy a home and you have an income of 100000 120000 that is great. It's great. And what that gets you to the GTA right now is a one or two bedroom apartment, maybe. Right. But if you have a dream of owning a home, maybe you're a new Canadian that's come in uh, and part of that Canadian dream is owning a home. It is next to impossible unless unless you have uh, wonderful organizations like Trillium Housing. And that's who we have today. We have uh, Joe DeShane Smith is on one of the principals at, at Trillium Housing. I think he's uh, he started with three partners. It's just him now because they've retired. Joe continues to work on. And, and they have placed so many families and single parents in deeply uh, affordable ownership. And they do that. And he comes on, he talks about the model. He talks about his journey. Joe spent some time in, in politics. He was chief of staff uh, for municipal affairs a while back. And he's done all sorts of different work that led him to affordable housing, that led him to really roll the dice. He had started with zero dollars and just helped to build up Trillium Housing, so they're able to do different projects, and they've done hundreds of homes uh, in Hamilton, in Pickering, and Winona, uh, just different spots. And then many of those homes, what they do is they work with uh, families so they don't have to qualify for as much of a mortgage by pro providing a Trillium mortgage, and makes it deeply affordable for them because they don't pay any interest on that Trillium mortgage. They just pay that back when and if they sell the home. Right. So it's a different way of looking at things. As you know, on this podcast, we're always looking at new, cool and innovative methods of getting people into housing of all sorts 
this qualifies as one of those. We talk about that and much, much more. We talk about the future of Trillium housing, how you can apply, what needs to change with the Canadian landscape. It's a fascinating conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Um, let's go to that conversation now. Week on the podcast, another great guest on the way home. Uh, Joe, welcome to the pod. Thank you very much, Michael. It's so happy to be here. And you know what? I'm going to start off by thanking you, Michael, for having this podcast because you know there's not a lot of places for us as you put it housers to go and and talk about affordable housing and uh i know pre pre-call you said you've been doing this for four for four or five years and we need this and i really you know i think i'm not alone in saying thank you for doing this it's very much appreciated well thanks for that joe i'll tell you something when and i've told this story a couple times but when i first was asked uh a friend of mine who runs the pod plant, uh, Mike Wixon had said to me, so why don't you do a podcast around housing homelessness? And I said, uh, I don't really understand podcasts, right? And so I went home, asked my kids, and they said, of course. Like, we, we don't listen to traditional radio anymore. Podcasting is a great way. And and they said, by the way, we would never listen to it. But, you know, number one, because it's you. <laughs> number two, because, the you know, it's pretty sector specific. So, yeah, and we started doing it. And, listen, we've now between uh, Out of the Blue, the predecessor to this, and then this one, I think we've had uh, probably 250 podcasts. And so we never run out of amazing people like yourself to talk to. It's, it's been incredible. And I, I learn, I nerd out over this because I just learn stuff every week, whether it's someone who's lived it and wrote about it or lived it and now is doing different things or someone who has unique solutions to different things like yourself. And we're going to talk more about that before we get to drilling down on your work at Trillium. We got to ask you the question we ask everyone. There's no right or wrong. It's personal to you. And that is what does home mean to you? All right. So I, I watched your podcast. I knew this was coming. So here, <laughs> see this, it's a, uh, nice. that's the house that I grew up in. In North Bay, my cousin did that for painting for my my mother several years ago, and that's you know that's where I played street hockey out front, and 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 uh, you know we had an ice rink in the backyard. It was up in North Bay. It was cold enough back then where you could have an outdoor ice rink for the whole winter, and you know it's the place where a child becomes uh, an adult. It's the place where, you know, you learn how to become a parent. It's the place where, you know, hopefully you're a grandparent and you dote on those children. And that's that, you know, I, I knew this question was coming. I thought, oh, I've got that picture of my my family house you know, where I grew up and I'm going to put that up. Yeah. And, 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 you know, what you're saying, like what every time you look at that picture, it's that feeling that that evokes of home. Right. I think yeah. that's people most people never say it's a, you know, they point out all the physical features of a home. It's just really about, this is how it makes me feel. I feel safe, feel comfortable. Um, and, and it reminds me of childhood or family and those types of things. So wonderful. Let's learn a little bit about you and your journey into this work. Uh, we often learn that most people, you know, when it came to career day and people came in to talk about things you could do when you were younger, no one said, I want to go into housing or I'm going to, you know, really knew, but somehow they found their way into this work. Can you talk? Talk us through your journey. Yeah. I never thought of housing, but I don't know if I ever thought of what specific job I would do, but my family was very much involved in, in the in public life. Let's say my dad was an MPP and my sister ended up being one. And my mom was a nurse and, and did lots of volunteer. I think I always knew I was going to be doing something that 
uh, would have a positive, you know, social value, a giving back. I've I've spent some time working at Queens Park uh, in, in ministers' offices, to, which I think is is part of that. Um, you know, I grew up Catholic, and I think my faith inspires you know me to to want to to help others. Um, I think those were really, you know, uh, those were the genesis. And then you know, my career, you know, going from an MBA and then doing some work in, in some ed, in private education, uh, working a couple of times in the healthcare center and in research, and then eventually and some politics, and then ended up uh, doing some stuff related to affordable housing, starting with a, a, a chief of staff job at the Ministry of Municipal Affairs here in, in Ontario. And, and at a time when the McGinty government was moving a lot of uh, a lot of uh, public policy and legislative freight through. So, you know, I was there for the City of Toronto Act, the, the new building code uh, at that time, uh, a new planning act, the reforms to the uh, landlord and tenant legislation. So we did a lot of stuff and it exposed me and I thought, well, we can, there's a lot more to be done. And, and I was inspired to go out and do more in that field. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how many people that come through, uh, uh, politics, whether it's on the staffing side or the political side of things, they always, they, I heard someone say I, I'm a survivor of, <laughs> because it's, it's like when you're in it, there must be a huge adrenaline rush, but especially as chief of staff, I mean, the, the work just never stops. The needs are ever changing. Uh, and it, it is just punishing that, that type of work. So. Yeah. But uh, you know, you got to rely on other people. You're not doing it all yourself. So, you know, uh, in, you know, in our office, you know, there was, you know, Richard Joy, who's with ULI now. And, and you know, you, I don't know if you've talked to him or their organization, but, you know, he, he did the City of Toronto Act, not me. And uh, Utili Amaral, who did the, the Planning Act work. You know, these, these are people that continue to be active in, in public life in various ways. And I think share that same kind of um, sentiment that I have or, and like uh, some of your other guests you know, probably had, they, they did some work in the public field, uh, and then have shifted into nonprofit and other organizations, but they're continuing to deliver that, that mission. And let's talk about the work that you're doing now. You mentioned when we were talking, uh, behind the scenes, 10 years ago, something happened. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Trillium housing has reached its, its, its decade uh, of achievements. So it's, it's really exciting. Um, uh, I had two partners when we launched Trillium, uh, Richard Owen and Fred Heller. They've, they've both since retired, but we really looked, we were involved in, in housing and had been for a few years uh, in, in various uh, enterprises. And I'd say, you know, well, I'll give you a little story. I would go to meetings of ONFA, Ontario Nonprofit Housing Association. But the organization was, I was also a member of BUILT. So that's the land industry uh, organization in, in, in the GTA. And I wouldn't recognize anyone from one meeting to the next. I was the only one at both. And I thought, there's a problem here, right? We've got this organization that's dedicated to delivering housing affordability, mostly on, on the rental side, right? And then my model is ownership, and we'll get to that in a minute. And then I got this industry over here that's churning out homes, right? In Ontario, it's what, 60, 70, 80,000 a year. And the two aren't talking to each other. 
And so, so it was like, well, what can we develop where a nonprofit can interact with the, with the for-profit development sector and bring housing affordability? So we've been exposed to, you know, the share equity mortgage, uh, which, you know, lots of, you know, there's a few organizations that, that were using it at the time, um, options and, and Axe um, Condo in Montreal, and uh, I can't remember the Calgary one, uh, but, you know, it was a tool that was out there. We we're looking for a way to uh, bring it to conventional developments. At the same time, it was the start of impact investing. So investors, you know, mostly high net worth individuals and foundations who were taking the lead on this and saying, how can we put our money into something, get a financial return, but also do public good or meet the mission mandate that we have? And I thought, well, if we can develop something where we can bring those impact investors dollars to the housing field and deliver housing affordability, that would be fantastic. Developers are always looking to offset some of their risk and bring in investors. Uh, they would like to deliver more housing affordability within their developments if they could. Um, so we came up with the Trillium model. So we uh, started off with, uh, we ended up with the initial four projects. And um, we went out to impact investors. I'll say thank you to like Hamilton Community Foundation, Lawson Foundation, Real Estate Foundation in British Columbia, others who, who, who were willing to take a chance on, on us. Uh, we took the money and turned it into investments in housing developments. Now, it was tough to get the first developers on side. And initially we thought, hey, we'll just come up, show up and say, hey, let us invest in your investments. And and in your projects and let's let's move it forward we we pivoted a bit at the same time uh, i did some advocacy with uh, the provincial government around access to surplus land the ontario nonprofit housing or the ontario uh, nonprofit association the onn uh, was working through the open door program uh, that was in existence back then uh, and I convinced them that they should make that one of the asks, and we actually got it implemented. So as of, you know, maybe 10 years ago, uh, a nonprofit can register to see any surplus sites that are available from the province in their local municipality. Uh, and Trillium was, I think, probably the first one to register because I was quite keen on it. And we bought three sites uh, uh, from the province through that process. And they, and so... I could then go to a developer and say, hey, we have access to these sites. So one is was in Pickering in the old Seton lands, two were in Hamilton. One was part of the old satellite city uh, on the mountain that was a, that the, the province put together to, you know, to build one of these model communities. And the other one was a piece of land next to the QEW in Winona uh, that was just surplus to the construction. Uh, and then, you know, with, with land in hand, and you'll remember 10 years ago, you know, development was was booming um, and a model for affordability. We got interest from, you know, from two developers that, you know, we, we knew from working with in the past, um, New Horizons and Jeff Bacon runs that at, out of Hamilton and um, and uh, Van Mar Constructors out of Guelph, led by Art Van Maren. And, you know, both of those organizations have, have definitely, you know, walked the talk by doing all sorts of, of different projects uh, on the affordability side uh, in, in private, but but also uh, some quality affordable housing projects. Um, so, so we got those first projects underway. Uh, 
the fourth site was actually in Toronto that we bought from uh, Build Toronto, and uh, but that was through a competitive RFP process. We pulled, paid the full. You know, we we had to compete and, and bid on the site, but it did come with some uh, housing affordability um, funding as part of the the offering. So with our model, you know, we, we put in cash into the the development. Uh, in all our projects, they were 50-50 partnerships, and the housing developer put some money into the, the nonprofit that we set up as the as the housing development entity. Um, we do ownership projects that are targeted at the entry level of the local market. So we don't, you know, I'm not interested in taking that site and building luxury homes. We're looking, we, all our projects were all, you know, either stacked or street townhouses. Um, and out of the proceeds of the project, and, you know, I should stop talking and let you ask questions about this, but out of the proceeds of the project, you know, we take our investment dollars out when the units are sold, just like any housing development. And instead of having a profit, what we do is we turn that into trillion mortgages. And the trillion mortgages are a share equity mortgage. So there's no set interest rate on them. But critically is there's no regular payment. So you get the share equity mortgage and, uh, you know, you don't make any regular payments on that principal or interest until you either resell the house, then we get paid out, or you decide to become a landlord and you rent it out. That's a trigger to pay us. We're, we're looking to help homeowners who live in their homes, not uh, investors. Uh, uh, or, I mean, if you, you know, so those are the, the, or voluntarily would be the third piece. And we get a lot of people who can, you know, who save up some money and then pay us out sooner. So in, in our example, you know, a family who otherwise would have had to finance, let's say they had 5% down, they would have to get a 95% loan to value and the mortgage insurance costs on top of that. We would give them at least the 15%, get them to the 20% so that they don't have to have uh, the high priced insurance or higher and you know they can finance the the balance of the purchase in that example 80 percent, or it might be lower if we give them a bigger trillion mortgage we right size our trillion mortgage to each family's personal circumstance and then you know they buy the unit conventionally and then re they repay us i'm kind of like uncle joe right i gave you a loan you don't make any payments until you resell and then you re when you resell we get our share of the appreciation and the value of the home so if my trillion mortgage is worth 20% of the value of the home when you bought it, when you sell it, we'll get repaid plus 20% of any appreciation, which I think is pretty fair. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. 
and listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. How many homes over the course of the last 10 years, uh, affordable and truly affordable homes, have you provided? So we're uh, over 400 homes that have been built. Yeah, that's pretty good. You know, I mean, we had no money. It was, you know, three guys, bootstraps, got her done. Uh, and there was no, you know, there was no lead kind of investment to, to, from, to, to get it launched. We thought this is the idea. It's going to work. We had some good feedback. Um, so out of those 400 homes, uh, we've got two projects sold out, completed, done. Uh, one project in Pickering, I think there's three, it was 200 units. It has, I think, three units left. So anyone wants to look at a, buying a home in Pickering, we have a couple there. And then our last project in Hamilton is in sales closings right now. So we've closed, I think, about two-thirds of the units. And we've got about, I think there's seven or eight units left there. And there's truly mortgage funding too. So any of the listeners looking to purchase a home, uh, you know, I mean, we're, we're not taking homeless people off. This is people who have to be, who will need to get a first mortgage uh, to be able to afford, you know, a portion of the value of the home. So that, you know, that's, I, I should add, you know, the, the real affordability comes with the trillion mortgages. I think we're at 73 at the first three projects I mentioned. Uh, there's another 10 coming with the final project. So that's about $10 million in housing affordability that we're delivering. And um, like if you, if you take it down to the individual, um, if we give someone a $100,000 trillion mortgage, they're probably, they're saving over $500 a month on their housing costs. Wow. So that's, that's substantial. We have trillion mortgages at 200,000 where we're exceeding a thousand dollars a month reduction in their, in their housing costs. So if they had gone out and added that 200,000 to their first mortgage, which they would have had to, if they, they needed to buy, it would cost them a thousand dollars more a month. So, you know, you know, so it's, you know, we're starting that $10 million that we have in mortgages in people's hands right now is, is helping those 73 families. Um, and, you know, feels good. Oh, it's wonderful work. So walk me through, let's say you were going to explain this to a, a class of great fours. You're saying, okay, so I'm going to come into a Pickering house. That house is worth how much? Uh, normally you'd have to put down 20%. But in this case, and if you didn't and you put down five, you'd pay that kind of premium through CMHC. In this case, yeah. you're putting down the five trillion mortgage is covering the other 15. And so you're not paying the premium on that. And so your monthly costs are, as you say, much, much less than if you had to do something like that, right? Exactly. So our first project in Toronto, it was 60 stacked townhouses. The project was called The Loop. It's up at... Um, Jeez, uh, uh, I'm, I'm snapping. Northwest Toronto, nice little site. Uh, the average unit was priced at around four hundred seventy thousand. These are all two and three bedroom units. So we were able to give out thirty trillion mortgages. So about half the families. Um, so the the average family buying a four hundred seventy thousand dollar unit, they'd have to put up five percent. For you know, so let's say twenty twenty five thousand is the minimum that we require. They have to have skin in the game. We would give everyone at least a fifteen percent trillion mortgage, because we wanted to get them over the twenty percent hump to avoid the high cost uh, mortgage insurance. And basically, our trillion mortgage acts as the insurance in, in that case. 
and then they would have to go out and find that. So in that case, the average trillion mortgage was about 100,000. So those families were having to get a first mortgage of about 300,000, 325 in that range. We were saving them over $500 a month because a $100,000 trillion mortgage, that's at that time, the interest rate is probably more now, but at that time it was about $500 a month. Um, and, uh, you know, we were able to house families. The average income of our purchasers was 68000 I don't know, any, you know, if you know anybody who earned 68000 a year, was able to buy a house four years ago or today or 10 years ago, like God bless them, they had saved up a lot of money because, you know, it's just impossible. So, you know, these families were, were, not, were not going to be able to buy in the, in the market at that time. Um, uh, you know, we'll make a special effort to help families where we think there's more need. 25% of our 30 buyers were uh, single parent led families. So, so how, what, kids what is with a single parent. Joe, talk to me about that. Like, how do you select? Because I'm sure you get a lot of interest, right? Um, and you said this is really about helping people in a home ownership, which is important. If uh, yeah. people could, you know, listen, if people come out of rentals into home ownership, that opens up rentals too for people in need of rental, right? So Absolutely. it works all around. But what is your process and how you select people? So we, we really, you know, we don't want any any stigma attached to the development and people go, oh, that's that's where those people live. So when this, this these townhouses are on the market, it's they're marketed just like any other townhouse. We have the sales center. All of that is exactly the same. Um, we'll do some separate uh, ads through like Google ads online, and we will do signage, A-frame signs in the, in the local area. And those A-frame signs are actually pretty effective. Uh, I have hesitated to go like on the radio because I've got, you know, 25, 30 units to do at the loop. I don't have 10,000. Right, right? Right, yeah, yeah. So, and, you know, so now it's not easy. You know, we got, we had a few thousand registrants and it was tough to get our 30 purchasers because they do have to meet, you know, we'd have an income cap. You know, we wouldn't want to go much over the local median income. Um, so at that time, I think it was, I think we were cutting it off at about 75,000. It's, it's higher now at our current projects mostly because of issues around the stress test and high interest rates and stuff like that. Um, and, um, and they also have to get, but they have to have enough income to be qualified for a first mortgage. So, so it, it's, it's, it's not easy. Uh, you'd think we'd have a long lineup, but part of the reason that, you know, people don't know about us and the, and the ones that do register, you know, kind of across the board. So that's, that's something I'm still working on to, to, to make it better. And, you know, I listened to your podcast, looking for ideas on how to better target our, 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 our housing affordability availability. Um, so when somebody registers with us online, so if they go to trilliumhousing.ca, fill out our registration form, uh, um, you know, we'll look at, do they meet the basic parameters in that registration? And at that point, they go to our, our mortgage broker. We're working with HomeWise, which is an online broker. Great guys. Vince is fantastic. And Jesse, the owner, has been very helpful. And because it's online, it's been very efficient. And uh, they will then go through the, you know, submit all the normal documentations that's needed to get uh, a, a mortgage originated. And once they have that first mortgage in place, then we assess uh, what would their needs be for a trillion mortgage, you know, and then we look at what's the family size and composition, 
So what kind of unit size would be appropriate for them? And then we'll look at what we can finance to fill the gap. Then we have caps on what we can do, right? I can't do a 50% loan to value. Like, you know, so, you know, so that, you know, again, it kind of narrows the field. Uh, but once we, once we're settled, I mean, it's, it's great. Those families can buy a home uh, with, you know, with a fairly good level of um, comfort that they're, they're, they can afford the, the payments that, that are set up. Any success stories in particular jump to mind? Can you think of people? I mean, not name, but just that would kind of sit with you where you, you felt really good about. Yeah, I remember talking with uh, one of the, the construction manager at the end of the project. And uh, he was hand, he was handing out the keys to families when they would come. So the sales closer were having, this is in Toronto. And he said uh, to me, Joe, said, this lady, she came to get her keys. And, you know, so I walked her over and showed her her unit and, and, uh, you know, we open the door, I go in and she stops at the door and I turn around and she's like crying. She's like, I can't believe this. And I could, he was telling me the story and I could tell at the time he was uncomfortable, right? It was like, well, what do I do? This person is upset, but they were tears of joy. And, you know, she was like, I have three boys. There's no way I could, I never imagined I'd own a home and have a place for them to grow up. And that, that was a nice sight. It was actually kitty corner from a public school and there was a, a mall, you know, Value Village and, 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 and grocery store nearby and, and, and the street or a bus line right there and, and, and about a kilometer away from from uh, what will be the Eglinton LRT. So nice site in terms of a place for a family to grow up. So when I heard that story, you know, that was that was, you know, that was that was special to know that those families were that family and, and, and those three kids. Uh, you know, we're going to have a home, uh, you know, like the one I showed you on my painting for me, right? Where they, they can grow up and have their place. So, so that, I mean, that was a pretty, it's pretty special story. I mean, there's other ones too, but. And at that time, they were probably thinking only three, four years and that uh, new Eglinton, the LRT will be rolling. <laughs> okay. We're going down a different, different rabbit hole now. <laughs> That's a different story. But hey, listen, this is, I think, you know, 10 years ago, Trillium Homes is very relevant. Now, more than ever, I mean, if you look at what, what is the average home over a million dollars. So if yeah. you're going to do the 20% piece, you got to have $200,000 saved. Uh, right now, to rent a one-bedroom apartment in the GTA, you're looking at a household income of over $100,000, right? So most people have just stopped thinking about home ownership. And, and Trillium continues on, becomes more relevant, and is making home ownership a reality for many people who would never think that this could be. I'm going to be a renter forever, not thinking they could one day be showing their kids the picture you showed us. Right. And, and doing that now, what about what, how, like, what are the big plans for the future? Are you going to scale this up or are you, you, what's the, what's the future of Trillium? Yeah. I, I'm going to go back to, you know, your comment, you know, there are some big issues around all those families who can't afford to buy, you know, the, 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 the home ownership rate has gone down in Canada. Uh, I looked at some stats. I think it's gone from 69% to 63, you know, ah, 3%. That's, it sounds like nothing, right? There's 15 million households. That's 450,000 fewer homeowners. So when you said earlier, you know, these families are moving out of rental units. Well, that's 450,000 fewer people that used in 2016 used to be homeowners, but now in 2023 aren't homeowners. And, you know, a lot of those barriers, you know, like, you know, 
are making it really challenging for people to to be able to move into home ownership, first time home buyers in particular. Um, and I'm thinking of like the stress test, you know, which was brought in, you know, six, seven years ago, valid reasons, you know, interest rates are one or two percent. Can they afford a hike? Well, we've had the hikes. We've had the greatest hikes ever. And everyone's saying they're going down, but the stress test is still at the same prime plus two. Well, maybe we should modify the policy and make it prime plus one or make it, you know, higher for investors and lower for owner occupiers and be a little more subtle and a little more specific about policies like this to help encourage people who need housing affordability and discourage the people that are driving up the prices because they're speculators and others like that. Pivot over to the future. Um, we've been putting together an idea to, to, you know, I mentioned how we acquired land and, you know, uh, got investors and then ended up issuing mortgages. And that process, I mean, the, the, the project I mentioned in Hamilton, right? That was our, that's that we still have 10 units for sale and I welcome people to come and register. But we, we bought that, that was the first site we bought like nine years ago. It's an infill site. We're building street towns next to existing street towns. Nine years. I'm too old <laughs> to do too many of these projects, right? So, so the idea was, okay, how can we get more trillion mortgages to more families faster? So we're building a trillion mortgage fund. So we're going to look at the impact investors and the developers we're working with and say, put some money into this fund and we'll issue mortgages out of it. So we're not going to have a, the fund won't, the, the money available for trillion mortgages won't grow from us doing developments and earning a profit and issuing it as profit. We're going to look for people to earn a return from the trillion mortgages, the share equity, but more importantly, help a lot of families. So I'm, I'm really excited. We have two initial partners. So the Lakeview Village partners in Mississauga who are redeveloping the old uh, Ontario power generating site. Um, you know, that's a big project, 16,000 units. And they have an obligation to do about five or 10% of the units as, as affordable. So they want to work with us to do, you know, some, some of those units and have, you know, are committing to put money into a fund where we'll deliver trillion mortgages to buyers in that, in that project. And that's, you know, that's multi-year. And then uh, Spotlight Development, uh, Sherry Larjani. There's somebody you should have as a guest, Michael. So Sherry's uh, really wants to demonstrate how large sites could be redeveloped to include all types of housing models. So we're partnering to do affordable ownership there. She's got Wood Green Community Services. And you know I, I was on the board of Wood Green way back when, so they're going to do some rental. Uh, Good Shepherd uh, focused on seniors uh, rental and more supportive. Um, and we're looking to do that project, uh, Habitat as well. We'll do a few units uh, and again, demonstrate how if you have a site uh, out of the proceeds uh, and, and, and using uh, some of the support out of the profit of the for-profit units, so, so not all the units will be affordable, you can actually help defray costs on the affordable side and, and deliver a lot of units. So, so those two projects, I'm hoping, I'm hoping we start issuing mortgage commitments this year at both of them out of the, the funds. And the funds are going to be structured so that impact investors could put money in the fund and fund directly the mortgages. So the time their money is in, in will be longer than the housing development. 
uh, you know, housing development might be five years, right? Six, sometimes much longer. Um, with the mortgage fund, what we're hoping to do is prioritize those those types of investors to get them repaid out of the discharges earlier. So maybe after a 10-year period. And then uh, organizations like Trillium and, and our developer partners will put their money in for a longer period of time, potentially getting repaid you know, in the 15, 20, 25 year range. So that structure, I think, um, could be very scalable. You know, uh, we've asked governments to, to be involved, mostly to help defray the risk, because if they can assume some of the risk, and it's not that risky, because the mortgages are going to on existing houses, it's not like we're asking them to take real estate development risk. The houses are built, they've got a Terry on warranty, help us defray the risk to have bigger investors. Potentially, I would love to see a, a pension plan or an insurance company who wants to look at long-term uh, cash flow off of the housing sector. And this gives them a way to also get those uh, uh, CSI credits, you know, in terms of uh, what they're doing as for, as a, for their responsible investment. Um, this would allow them to help a lot of families and still get a reasonable rate of return based on a risk that could actually be mitigated by government at low cost and help deliver a lot of affordability to a lot of houses, households. Amazing uh, and wonderful and well done. Big hopes for the future. What has to change? I mean, you've been, you know, uh, as you said in your intro, through the gamut of the political end of things, through doing this work, you're, you're obviously very committed to making housing more affordable and, and making life more affordable for Canadians. What do you think are some of the things that have to change to help us move through this housing crisis we face right now? Yeah, I, when I look at this the public policy stuff, a lot of it, I try to think, you know, I, I don't think governments are going to build the housing, right? So, you know, CMHC is not all of a sudden gonna become a builder. And I don't think it should. And I don't think the province is either. And I don't think municipalities should be. You know, that expertise is out there. Um, so from my point of view, what needs to be done is the policy levers need to be shifted to incent developers to build the product we want them to build. So as an example, uh, development charges in Ontario are a flat rate per unit. So in some places, it's like $100,000 for every unit you build. And it doesn't matter if I'm building a two-bedroom unit with affordability, my DC is 100,000, or if it's, you know, Trump Tower in downtown Toronto, and they're building a two-bedroom unit, it's 100,000. They're selling theirs for, you know, 1.5 million, and mine's 500,000. Same DC. That doesn't make any sense. When did we decide that we should tax people who can afford uh, the $500,000 unit, the same dollar figure as the guy who can afford the one, the $2 million condo? So change it to a rate, right? Raise the same money. I'm not, let's not debate how much money should be raised from DCs. That's another question. Raise the same amount, but instead of you doing a set $100,000, make it 5% of the price or 6%, whatever you need the rate to be to generate the income, and then apply that. So then on my $500,000 unit, it'll be substantially lower, right? And it'll be higher on the luxury unit. Well, when the developers run their pro formas and they look at those numbers, well, all of a sudden the lower priced unit becomes more profitable, right? And the other one less profitable. 
And if you can inch the ones on the margin to build more, less costly units because the rate change, all of a sudden you're gonna, you're giving the developers the market signal to build more of the affordable units and less of the more, less, uh, less of the more expensive units. Um, sometimes I give the example, if you're approved to build a 10,000 square foot building, okay? You can build five 2,000 square foot units, okay? And if it's $100,000 a door, that's 500,000 in DCs. Or your architect can build 10 1,000 square foot units. Your construction cost is the same for 10,000 units. But your DCs, when you build the 10 units, is going to be a million dollars, right? 10 times 100,000 versus 500,000. So if they build the five units in the 10,000 square feet, they make $500,000 more in profit. Let's put aside that they need more parking and more bathrooms and stuff like that. But just on that number. So right there, if you're a developer, what are you going to do? I mean, Michael, you would build the five yeah, units and put 500000 in your pocket, right? Who, would, yeah, who wouldn't blame them for doing that? I mean, yeah. they're business guys and they've got investors. They got to do it. So if you change the policy to at least make that neutral or even better for more expensive units, make the rate a little higher and then really skew the table, you're given the right type of market signals, right? And so, you know, those are DC issues. That's like provincial and municipalities that, that would have to do those kinds of changes. But what you want to do is have the developers run their numbers and go, hey, it makes more sense to build more, a, a larger number of units in the same square footage, and that'll make us more money. I mean, they, they sell these units on a price per square foot. If you make the units a little smaller, right, we'll get lower priced units overall, and we'll have more of them. I mean, average house size has grown over the last 30 years from about 2,000 square feet to you know over 2,500 square feet. And at the same time, average household size have shrunk. So why do our planning departments approve building these McMansions that are 2,500, 3,000 square feet? That, the, the picture of the, my house from as, when I was a kid, right? It's probably like an 1,800 square foot, three bedroom house, right? With a basement, you know, plus one basement bedroom where I sweat, slept, I was the oldest. <laughs> Right. You remember those houses. Yeah, yeah. So so it was OK for me. I mean, we had a good we were we had a very it was a very comfortable house and a very nice house. And it was not 3000 square feet. And, you know, if, if you're building a subdivision of single family homes and you're building them at 3000 per square foot or 2000, well, you're going to build a lot more of 2000 than 3000. So why not make have the planners approve it for the smaller lot sizes and the smaller homes? Absolutely. Hey, what what are your thoughts? I have to get your thoughts on one last thing before we close out. The federal government recently talked about going to kind of a catalog of a few different designs to say, if you use these designs, we're going to move that. It's going to go through that process a lot quicker. Um, it'll be a lot more kind of affordable. It will get you know, 5 million homes. We need a 3 million additional, but I think 5 million altogether past 2030. What are your thoughts about that catalog? Good idea? Sure. I, I mean, I think the more we can do to streamline the processes, and if that means, you know, doing some standardization, that, that's okay with me. I mean, at one point, there were different electrical currents, depending on where you lived, right? And now it's a standard 110 volt. So it, it's kind of along there. I think the federal government, you know, you brought them up, could do a lot more on other things, right? And I'll, I'll give you three, I know we're almost on three quick things. So interest rates, right? 
have been jacked like crazy. The number one item that's causing insurance uh, inflation in Canada is the impact of in increased interest rates on people's housing costs, which everyone says is the number one issue. So there's lots of smart guys at the Bank of Canada. Figure out a way to keep the interest rates high for consumer spending. You know, I don't need to go on a five-star vacation. Let people to go on four-star vacations because that's more affordable if they have to finance it, right? But find a way, you know, the 200, 250,000 first-time home buyers a year, they should not be penalized trying to get their first home, building equity in that home, uh, because of the interest rate hikes that have happened. So that would be one area that, you know, the federal government needs to think hard, and it's not easy, but they need to do something. Uh, the HST first-time uh, new home rebate was set up in 1991 at 350000 is the price. You get a $6,000 rebate, and it's been frozen there stuck in time in 1991 it's now 2023 it's like 32 years make the adjustment instead of giving a rebate of six thousand dollars on a three hundred fifty thousand dollar home make it six hundred thousand dollar home and give them a twelve thousand dollar rebate or or higher make it you know adjust it for inflation but that's you know that's going to cost the federal government money but it's a direct impact on first on on home buyers right new home home buyers I mean, and then finally, I mean, CMHC, they got to they got to use the money that's given to them and get more effective. I always tell people and Michael, you run a nonprofit. Nonprofits are to the housing sector what hospitals are to the healthcare sector. But tell me, do you think or do we treat our nonprofit housing providers the way we treat the house hospital sector in Canada? No, it's, it's not even close. So we need to change the mindset of the people that are really delivering affordable housing and that's the nonprofits and make sure that we're funding them properly and and and, and moving the barriers out of the way that that can be moved out of the way to, to get the work done well said joe uh and we'll take those into mind now listen if someone wants to check out trillium they're interested in buying a house they want to tell someone about it maybe someone in calgary who says I'd love to scale it out here or BC or we'd love to take that idea or a builder that wants to work with you. Maybe it's someone at Blue Door who's running a program called Construct who wants to reach out to you to say, maybe we could get our Construct program involved. How would they go about yeah. doing that? Yeah, so the easiest to go to our website, trilliumhousing.ca, and uh, the registration is there for a form for those who are looking to to buy a home and see if they're eligible. You know, right now, you know, to help families where the income's over 100000 just because of interest rates and that, that yeah, yeah. you know, a family earning 120,000 cannot buy a home in the GTA and we'll have, it'll, and we'll give them a big trillion mortgage to help them buy uh, in our Pickering and our, or our uh, Hamilton project. So, so that for those families, you know, come register. Um, otherwise, you know, our contact information for our organization is, is on the website as well. So, you know, they can reach out to me uh, at Trillium Housing and, and, you know, we're, 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 we want to scale the work we're doing and we're looking for avenues to do that. There's lots of families um, uh, who, you know, you know, we didn't even talk about, you know, first new Canadians you know, come to Canada looking at part of the dream of being a Canadian is owning their home. And there are a lot of barriers. I mean, a lot more so than I think for people that grew up in Canada to, to getting access to the housing market. And we need to find ways to, to help them 
to do that if we want to continue to have, I think, a, a nicely balanced community uh, communities where there's, um, you know, a cross section of housing that's available to everyone. Absolutely. Listen, I encourage listeners, go to trilliumhousing.ca, check it out. The website's wonderful. I took a look at it. Uh, lots of uh, kind of pictures there to kind of walk you through how the process works. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for stepping up for the 10 years of providing deeply affordable housing for homeowners, for continuing this work. Um, it's so appreciated. We appreciate you sharing this with you, and, and hopefully we'll see Trillium Homes just continue to grow. Uh, until next time, Joe, we'll see you on, we'll see you next time on the way home. Thanks. Hi, I'm Joel McLeod, co-host of the 905er podcast. The 905 is one of the most diverse and densely populated regions of Canada. Four and a half million of us live, work, and play in the area surrounding Toronto. That's more people in the 905 than actually live in Toronto. Each election, the 905 decides who forms our government at both the provincial and federal levels. So why isn't more attention being focused on us here in the 905? We're looking to change that. My co-host, Roland Tanner, and I tell the stories that define what we are calling the most important region in Canada. Each week, we bring to your attention news, culture, and issues that make up what it means to be a 905er. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Or you can visit us at 905er.ca to subscribe. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.